Hey everyone, welcome back to Movie Morning and Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse has been out in theaters for one week now and I've been waiting to have time to record my ranking, updated ranking of all 10 of the theatrically released Spider-Man movies we've had from Sony over the past 23 years, from the worst to the best. Now just to let you know, I will not be including the Venom films and Morbius films and the Morbius movie on this list because I'm a bit short on time and I have been for the past couple of months, but also because I feel like Morbius feels so detached while the Venom movies feel a little more like a Spider-Man movie, but I have to include one or, I can't really do one or the other, I have to include everything. And I also needed to rewatch some of those movies again. I didn't really, because I've only seen mo two out of the three of those movies I just named once. So, and I, quite, and I don't quite have time for that right now with the amount of franchise movies coming out. So I decided to limit it to the 10 Spider-Man films. Now I've ranked the Spider-Man movies twice before, so this isn't going to be too much new for a lot of you. My thoughts haven't changed too much since my last ranking. There might be one or two shifts here or there, but it is mainly to see where Across the Spider-Verse stacks up against the other nine Spider-Man movies we've had so far. So with that said, this ranking will include spoilers for every... This ranking will include spoilers for every spider um, I should say, theatrically Spider-Man movie with the exception of Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse because it just came out. So I don't want to spoil it for those of you who have not seen the film yet. However, every, every other placement, I will talk about spoilers. I may not, but I don't think it's a risk that you, you're going to want to take. It depends on the notes I have for that particular movie. With that said, let's get started. Coming in last place for me is The Amazing Spider-Man 2, one of the most frustrating comic book movies of all time. There are so many great individual moments and concepts in this movie, but they're paired with some really bad story ideas and really bad execution, particularly in the writing department. It's also similar to Spider-Man 3 in that there's just too many villains in here, too many plot lines, and the movie feels so convoluted. Some of what works from the first film are also still here. Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone have even better chemistry in this movie, and I love their relationship, and I'm actually invested in it. And even though it comes out of nowhere, when Gwen's death does happen, it is really impactful and probably the most emotional moment in any Spider-Man movie ever. Andrew Garfield is also amazing in this movie, especially in the emotional moments, but also as Peter Parker in Spider-Man. And I think he got the character down more in this movie. I feel like they also toned back writing-wise some of the things that really bugged me about this franchise's portrayal of the character in the first, and it was much better here. And visually, I will say definitively, this is the best Spider-Man movie out there. The web-swinging and just cool-looking action sequences are the best compared to any other Spider-Man movie from any of the four franchises I'm talking about here. And this movie has by far the best suit out of any live-action Spider-Man suit. And Hans Zimmer's score has some really great tracks, but also some not really great ones, in my opinion. And when it comes to issues, though, there are way too many subplots. And you can tell a lot was cut, which means this had to be one of the most packed films ever made. There's so many mandated plot points from Sony, and you can really feel that seeping through. Mark Webb kind of struggling to keep his vision clear. And there's just so much unnecessary future setups for a Spider-Man movie that doesn't seem... That doesn't really fit with, the, with just telling a solo movie that I'm just not invested in. Harry Osborn in particular feels like he has no place in this movie. And him, along with the other villains, don't work. Rhino doesn't really have an appearance with Paul Giamatti. I hate his performance in this movie. Electro 
doesn't doesn't fit into the tone of a lot of the relationship drama that's going on in a lot of this movie. And I almost forgot that the biggest crime this franchise commits as a whole is making a big deal out of Peter Parker's parents. They are essential to Peter Parker's origin, why Uncle Ben and Aunt May are so important to him, but that shouldn't be turned into a just like 007 style mystery. Now, I love a good spy movie. I love Spider-Man. I love the lore. And I'm, I also love Spider-Man comics. I read tons of Spider-Man comics all the time. So I understand this is a very fanboy thing to complain about, but I really do not like the level of just unnecessary explanation they do into how Peter Parker is the only guy who could have been bit by the spider. And to me, that takes away the whole point of Spider-Man existing. It takes away the whole point of Spider-Man as an inspiration. And it's something that the Spider-Verse films really fire against. Now, not directly at this movie, but I do not like the direction the script took in this movie. Now, the, the plot really could have shaved like 20 minutes off the runtime and spend a lot of time on that. It's everything about this movie, I feel like needed more time. It was only a two-year turnaround for it to work as well as they wanted with the amount they crammed into the screenplay. The Amazing Spider-Man 2 is one of the most messy comic book movies ever made, which is so frustrating because there are so many great moments and so many good actors and a really talented director for dealing with character relationships, which is clearly shown. But this movie has so this movie has so much potential, and it was a big letdown for me personally. Coming in at my number nine is Spider-Man Three, another movie that I struggle with so much because there's, there really is, in my opinion, a lot in here that does work. But again, it's just a mess. And Sony Sony Studio meddling the very is a very clear kind of re, reappearing theme of the movies on this list that don't fully work for me, but have great moments in them. The filmmakers were never the problem with these weak Spider-Man movies. This film, though, is a major letdown compared to the first two Sam Raimi films. This movie is also very overcrowded, where all of the plot lines feel really thin as a result and aren't developed as much as they should be. The movie really struggles to balance everything it has. Plot lines and villains get kicked out by other villains coming in multiple times throughout the movie. Not literally kicked out, but I mean, just I mean you can feel the movie trying to shove in something else. And there's some really lame plot points to get other certain plot lines to take a back seat, such as Harry's amnesia, which is to kind of put the new goblin side to rest so that we can deal with Sandman and Peter getting the black suit. It feels really unnatural. Also, something that I've always noticed with this is that other people have never really mentioned, in my opinion, is that there's quite a few moments where they try to recreate the drama and emotion with very similar plot beats and interactions between characters with the previous movies, particularly between MJ and Peter, and probably more specifically Harry and Peter from Spider-Man 2. And on the different villains, Topher Grace's Venom is laughably bad, especially in the climax. I actually really like Sandman as a villain, and the redemption at the end, that's the part of the movie that really does work. But I, again, it just doesn't have enough time, because Venom's also in the movie, they're doing a Harry Osborn New Goblin, which that feels like the natural way to continue with the franchise. But Sam Raimi wanted to do Sandman, and the studio forced him to do Venom, so it just turns out to be a complete mess. I will say, though, this movie is extremely entertaining. It has a lot of embarrassing moments, but it's also really funny. Unintentionally, and I feel like intentionally, I don't think these Spider-Man movies get enough credit for how I feel like self-aware they are in terms of how memeable they can be. And I, think, I do think that's overtaken the actual reputation of this movie a little bit. And... Spider-Man 3, it, this movie has the most memes in existence, and there's also some really cool sequences like the bell tower scene, that recreation, 
from Amazing Spider-Man number two. I don't remember the, uh, the issue. I read it pretty recently again. Love that issue and I love that moment. And I actually love the idea of using the black suit as a device to really bring down Peter's dark side, especially in a time where he's learning about, you know, something else that could have happened with the death of his uncle and how maybe it wasn't all his fault. I think that really makes sense. But then again, Sam Raimi clearly did not have the best idea of how to use the character of Venom. Number eight, Spider-Man Far From Home, a movie that continues to move down this list every time I watch it and really just any of the other movies on this list again because unfortunately I really feel like this is a movie where as a sequel it is not the best and it does have a lot of problems and really misses a lot of what made Spider-Man Homecoming fantastic yeah I said the word in my personal opinion now I have a lot of fun with this movie every time I watch it but I do absolutely acknowledge that it has not aged the best even in the four years since it came out and it has a lot of story and character issues the humor in this movie is a big step down from Homecoming. There's a lot of very awkwardly executed from a directorial standpoint moments, some stuff in the script that I don't think translates very well to live action. This movie repeats pretty much the same arc for Peter from Spider-Man Homecoming. And now that I'm thinking about it, No Way Home almost repeats the exact same arc. And I think No Way Home does it the best. But this movie clearly does it the worst because it just feels so... In a different context, I feel like the arc they were going for with Peter would have worked, but it felt like we just didn't. I'm not saying they did it badly necessar necessarily, but I think that it just doesn't feel like we're moving forward with the character. And I think the last big issue I have before I talk about a lot of what I like about this movie is that is that they I just they just feel so stuck up on Tony Stark that it feels like at least half of this movie is dedicated to the fallout of Endgame and Peter dealing with the death of Tony and him not feeling like he can live up to be Spider-Man, even though that's exactly what Spider-Man Homecoming was about. And although this feels like the same point as the last one, for me, it's a different point because, again, these Spider-Man movies, I feel like, aren't confident enough. The writers and producers behind this movie weren't confident enough to let Spider-Man sign on his own, which, in my opinion, is really odd because he's one of the biggest superheroes of all time. But now moving on from my issues, and there are also plot issues, which are very clear. I do have a lot of fun watching this movie, and it is very entertaining. Jake Gyllenhaal is one of the best parts about this movie. He can be charming, he can be over the top, he can be ruthless, and Mysterio is a really good villain, even if the twists are predictable. And the Mysterio sequences are some of the best out of any Spider-Man flick. What's most important, though, is that he's given a compelling backstory that we can sympathize with. And I think overall, the action sequences in here are actually some of my favorite out of any of the Spider-Man franchises, and John Watts. Does a much better job here. And the final battle is actually really well directed. Tom Holland's also great once again. I think Zendaya and her portrayal of MJ is a lot better. And I really like their chemistry between the two. And I think their relationship pays off very well in the climax. And of course, this movie has one of the greatest mid-credit scenes in cinematic history that made me, as a longtime Spider-Man fan, very happy. Number seven, The Amazing Spider-Man. This is a very frustrating movie because I can never, ever get a good grip of my thoughts on this movie because it changes by the minute and changes every time I watch it. But on my most recent rewatch, I would say this is a pretty good Spider-Man movie. And I do think stands above the bottom three on this list by a decent margin. Even by I think Far From Home is less messy than the bottom two. I think this is a nice, fresh take on Spider-Man for the time that really tries to distinguish itself from the Raimi trilogy. And it tries so hard to do so with the more grounded tone.
but it also hits a lot of the same plot and character beats. And because of that, this movie kind of has an identity crisis. But to be honest, on its own terms, I think it's a pretty solid Spider-Man flick. A few issues right off the bat, I think that the retelling of the origin so soon after Raimi's trilogy was a mistake because, again, it can't fully change it without not feeling like Spider-Man. And I'm really not a fan of the, again, focus on the mystery between, behind Peter Parker's parents, which is a much bigger issue in the next movie. But I should mention that I really it's a setup in this movie and I'm really not a fan of it. I'm also not a big, big fan of Mark Webb's visual style for Spider-Man. It's not my preferred take. I think in the second movie, that is exactly what I want from a Spider-Man movie. This film, what I found so odd is that it is stylistically very different from The Amazing Spider-Man 2, where it feels like the scenes are lit really darkly. And I just don't, like, I don't think that fits Spider-Man. I'm really also, when it comes to this also, everything just looks very drab. And I'm, again, not really fully sold on the idea of Peter Parker being being a bit of a douchey nerd that's not really again how I've always seen Spider-Man but Andrew Garfield is so good at playing that role that to me he makes up for some of those issues I have in the initial concept of the amazing Spider-Man and he really sells me on this version of the character and the relationship between Andrew Garfield's Peter Parker and Emma Stone's Gwen Stacy is the best out of any of the main Spider-Man relationships we have cinematically that phenomenal chemistry feels so real and it's really just fun seeing them interact more so than seeing Spider-Man fight bad guys, which is really interesting. And even in the emotional moments, because I'm so into the characters, the moments like Captain Stacy's death do hit very hard. And I like Garfield's portrayal of Spider-Man more so than Peter Parker. And I, I resonate with it much more than the writer's take on Peter Parker, I should say. And I like that he's being a lot more jokey and quippy compared to Tobey Maguire. And I think he's more what I imagine Spider-Man to be. There's also some iconic Spider-Man sequences like the bridge and crane scene, which are perfect Spider-Man moments. And the last thing I'll say is that the web swinging and action in this movie are top-notch for the most part. And James Horner's score is my favorite out of any Spider-Man movie. Fight me. Going to the next two, I'm going to completely admit, I think my number six and my number five are basically tied, and I really struggle to see which one to put over the other. But I have a bit more of a soft spot for one, and I feel like I have a job to defend one of them, weirdly. So coming to my number six is Sam Raimi's Spider-Man from 2002. This is one of the quintessential superhero origin stories, origin story movies in general. But it's really more than that. It's set up so much of what we've come to know the superhero genre to be today. It's incredibly influential. And back to the movie itself, though, it tells such a classic and just cozy version of the Spider-Man origin that it's hard not to have a massive smile whenever all the iconic notes are hit in the plot. While he's able to do that, Raimi also injects so much of his usual flash into it that it feels like a true artist's vision, something that is desperately missing from the Tom Holland movies. Cheese and all, it has a unique flavor, and I love that. Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man is a portrayal of the character that I've really come around to, and he might even be my favorite interpretation over time. And I just really like his version of Peter Parker. I think he excels at that more so than he does at playing Spider-Man when he's in the suit. And all the naiveness and innocence is there will also lack looking the part. He looks like Peter Parker and how I've always imagined him to be. All the scene sealers in this film, though, are definitely Willem Dafoe as Norman Osborn and J.K. Simmons as J. Jonah Jameson, who both are some of my favorite movie characters of all time in terms of just how iconic they are. Dafoe is so great at chewing up the scenery. What I really appreciate more on this rewatch is how they actually try to build him up 
by having a story opposite Peter's origin story. And of course, the special effects here were revolutionary, and Danny Elfman's top-notch score is another great score in the long list of great Spider-Man scores. I have come to love this movie more and more over time, and I think over time I can see this movie moving up probably at least one, if not two spots. But as of right now, I'm not getting to rewatch all these movies before this ranking. It comes in at number six. And the one thing that I think holds it back for me, from being top-tier comic book movie material, is that some of the over-the-top over cheese I think gets in the way of a few moments. Particularly, I think the Green Goblin suit really limits the fear that Willem Dafoe is trying to strike with his amazing performance. And I think some of the melodramatic elements, particularly with Kirsten Dunst, MJ, I've never been a big fan of in these movies. And I really feel like he managed to perfect the blend, Sam Raimi, that is, between the balance of his movies, of the, his style, and having a serious Spider-Man tale in Spider-Man 2. At times, this is a bit dated, but to me, I still have a ton of fun watching. It's still a great version of the Spider-Man origin story, and will always, I think, be held as the definitive version of that story. Speaking of my top five, and this is absolutely where I'm going to start stepping on some toes, Spider-Man Homecoming. I still love this movie no matter what anyone says, and I will defend this movie until the end of time. It is indeed an amazing Spider-Man movie, and one of the most rewatchable comic book movies ever made. I love that we finally get to experience an authentic Peter Parker in high school. I like Toby and Andrew as his character, but this feels like an actual teenager struggling with being Spider-Man and balancing his personal life and, and, being, and having the responsibilities of a superhero. Also because of that, this is probably the most consistently funny Spider-Man movie, and at times it almost feels more like a teen comedy than an actual superhero movie, while always feeling like Spider-Man. I enjoy that change of pace, as well as also the fact that Tom Holland is such a great iteration of the character, and historically he has been my favorite version of Spider-Man. I don't know how that will change over time, but his portrayal feels really authentic to who Peter Parker is. He's just so undeniably likable. John Watts' directorial style is very, say, cookie-cutter, but at the same time, he clearly has a grip on the Spider-Man character. And when people mention John Watts behind this movie, they mention the writers and how they understand Spider-Man, but kind of don't really, aren't really confident in the, him enough to stand alone in his own movie, and they always constantly bring in these other MCU characters. But I truly think that John Watts really gets Spider-Man, and his arc that he goes on in this movie really does show that. And he's also able to please an audience in knowing exactly what they want from the character. The scene where Peter's under the rubble is ripped straight from, the Amazing, from Amazing Spider-Man number 33. Or is it 32? I don't remember. It's one of those issues. And it is just glorious. One of my favorite moments in any Spider-Man movie of all time. And Vulture, played by the great Michael Keaton, is one of the best live-action Spider-Man villains ever. And that scene in the car and the twist absolutely shocked me on first watch. I think it's one of the greatest movie twists of all time, to be honest with you. And the best compliment I'll say about this movie positively is that there's, is that it just makes you feel really good as a Spider-Man fan. And I do think one of the most important aspects of Spider-Man is that he makes you feel happy. And he puts a big smile on your face, but he's also, he also inspires you. And this movie does all of it. And this is also a really funny movie. It's one of the funniest movies in the entire MCU. And I love the arc he goes on into fully becoming his own superhero in Spider-Man. And... My big issue with this movie does tie into that, and that is I really hate and have really grown to hate over time the MCU trying to make Spider-Man Iron Man Jr. Spider-Man is my second favorite superhero of all time. 
I've loved him ever since I was a kid. He was the character that really introduced me to superheroes. And it's really disappointing to see that they're constantly trying to shove in tech and magic into his movies when he doesn't need that. And moving past that and becoming his own person is part of this part of his arc in this movie. I fully accept that. But I just hate how teched out the suit is. And it feels so unnecessary to me. But look. I love this movie. I've defended it forever. And I can't help but continue to defend it. Because I have a complete bath blast with it. Number four. The best of the MCU Spider-Man movies. Spider-Man No Way Home. One of the most unbelievable comic book movie experiences I've ever had. And some, I saw things in this movie that I just never thought I'd ever see. That Sony and Marvel actually went for it. I still can't believe they did it. This film is such a gift to Spider-Man fans. I've absolutely bad-mouthed it over the years. But at the end of the day, if we're just looking at it as a Spider-Man movie, it just stands alone so well as a compelling Spider-Man movie. The theatrical experience that came with this movie is probably the best I've ever had and ever have. And it's one that I'll never forget. This movie has also, I think, actually aged pretty well in terms of its storyline and just the arc Peter Parker has. The storyline they went for has improved for me on rewatches, and I think things that didn't work for me on first watch do stand out less. The fan service in this movie is just undeniably absolutely glorious. Seeing the villains back and interacting with each other for the first time is something that, again, I never thought I'd see. Alfred Molina's Doc Ock actually gets a really nice arc that's weirdly complete, and I just didn't expect that. From this movie, looking at the trailers, Willem Dafoe absolutely chews up the scenery as the Green Goblin. And it's so nice that they actually let him act without the Power Rangers mask and suit he had that I really did not like and I mentioned earlier. He's maniacal in the best way possible as the main villain of this movie for Holland's Peter. And seeing Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield come back as Spider-Man might be the most joy I've ever felt in a movie theater outside of Avengers Endgame. Because it just brought back so much of what I loved as a kid. So a lot of what I loved about Spider-Man came from those Amazing Spider-Man and Sam Raimi movies. And the fact that it all came to fruit culmination here and the Spider-Man's got to interact is wonderful. And the interactions between them just felt so sincere, heartfelt, funny. And I really wasn't satisfied. For how, well, I guess just what, not satisfied, definitely not the right word. I wasn't prepared for how satisfying it, was, it would feel as a lifelong fan of, this, of Spider-Man and Marvel in general. The film manages to balance a lot without ever feeling cluttered. The final act and ending of this movie might be the strongest out of any Spider-Man movie. Not from an action standpoint, but from an emotion and character moment standpoint. Because everything you could want, it has got the high-stakes action and goosebump-inducing team-up Spider-Man moments. But also the emotion. And the very ending of this movie finally sets up what all of us have been waiting for with MCU Spider-Man. And Tom Holland being on his own swinging out in that, from that New York apartment. And it's just one of my favorite endings out of any Spider-Man movie ever. I only wish the web swinging looked better than it does in that moment. And the emotions as a whole, like May's death, hit much harder than I ever could have expected, given how little they did with her in the two movies. And this movie really does have a heart and soul. And that is Peter Parker's amazing, quintessential Peter, Spider-Man arc. I mentioned how it's similar to Spider-Man Homecoming, but I feel like with this one, he has to... It involves a lot more dark things happening and more grief that it feels more like a Spider-Man experience that we're used to. And I just really love finally feeling that with the MCU. And I'll always deeply admire the scene where Peter actually decides 
not to sell MJ. The writers had the guts to end this movie on that. I always love it. Again, it does seem like they're bringing MJ's they have back to the next one, which is absolutely ridiculous. And when that gets announced, I'm sure I'll make a rant on that because I have very strong feelings, but we'll, we'll leave that to when they announce that. I'm assuming within the next couple of months. Peter's character arc is compelling and is what this version of Spider-Man desperately needed before it. His origin now feels complete and the payoff is so satisfying. The understanding and love for Spider-Man is very clear. Again, my main issue with this movie is that the setup is very lazy. It doesn't really, there's not much thought put into it. And the movie spends, I think, a little too much time trying to just capture the villains. It feels like we're killing time and trying to extend the runtime. But once things get going, once things start playing off, paying off, it is so satisfying. Getting into my top three, we start off with Spider-Man 2. And every time I bring up this movie, at least someone sends me a voice message to reference that very first Spider-Man ranking I did, where I believe I included this movie below both Amazing Spider-Man movies and a bunch of other ones that I absolutely do not stand by that opinion. This is a movie that when I was younger was always my least favorite of the Raimi movies. But watching it now as an older teenager, I have to say I really have come to love this movie. And it's slowly become one of my favorite comic book movies and one of my favorite movies of all time, period. And I've never had a movie switch that much going from a kid to an, a, to like an older teenager. And I've had tons of movies where I liked as a kid, don't like now, don't like as a kid, like now. But Spider-Man 2 is probably the biggest example of how my opinion has changed on something as I've grown older. And I love this movie. It's a comic book movie classic for a reason. Sam Raimi, for that time, probably made the best comic book movie we've had up until that point. I believe, I'm trying to think of everything that came out. I don't remember something that came out for Spider-Man 2 that's as good as it. And it's one that I've had a very turbulent relationship of the year, uh, over the years with. But I've settled with it now as one of my favorite Spider-Man movies of all time. Definitely my favorite live-action Spider-Man movie. Raimi's style and some of the hokey nature of these, of these first three movies are definitely still here, but it feels more cinematic, and Spider-Man feels more defined, and New York feels more defined here. This film does such a good job of continuing the themes from the first movie, and it really works as a sequel, which I think both this and the Mark Webb movies do well, but that the Tom Holland MCU movies really struggled with. And I think Peter's journey, his con- He's constantly getting beaten down by the people around him, and the movie does such a good job of showing you how the living the two lives, being Spider-Man and Peter Parker, has affected him. And most importantly, again, it just really continues Peter Peter's journey in a way that makes so much sense and that we a lot of people know to be Spider-Man. I know it's hard to fully believe, even in the context of the crazy comic world, but I love the way Sam Raimi uses the Spider-Man No More story to com- com- complete Peter's arc and just hammer down the with great power comes great responsibility line from the first movie. And the way they tie in that iconic Spider-Man story written by Stan Lee, and I believe it was drawn by John Romita Sr. I believe Steve Ditko had left the book by issue 50, one of my favorite Spider-Man comics of all time. I love the adaptation of it into this movie. It's perfect. And Alfred Molina as Doc Ock is one of the most iconic villains in cinema history, and he is so good. Because he's a sympathetic character and gets an even amazing redeeming moment in the final act. Which is just top tier Spider-Man stuff. That moment where he says, Peter Parker, brilliant but lazy and then I will not die a monster. Those two lines are some of my favorite out of any Spider-Man movie ever. And it perfectly showcases the optimism of Spider-Man. And even his darkest times, even how much he's beaten down, how the struggles he faces. 
His objective is never to fight or kill the bad guy, but to convince the villain that what he's doing is not right. And I love the way this movie and all three Raimi movies, I think, do very well. At discounting Weird Illusion and Multiverse stuff, this movie has the best directed and choreographed action out of any Spider-Man film. The train sequence I could talk about for days without being tired of. Not even necessarily because of the action, even though it's amazing, but it's because of the cinematography and Bill Pope, legendary Bill Pope, I should say. Probably having having the best cinematography out of any Spider-Man movie, but I love how it presents New York as an actual character. And it really feels like that it's part of Peter Parker, this version of Peter Parker, Toby Spider-Man's identity. And I don't think any of the other Spider-Man movies have done that well. My runner-up is Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Like No Way Home, this is a cinematic experience that I will never get, never forget for multiple reasons. But the main one being is I don't remember the last time I've been, I've left the movie feeling so mind-blown by the craft behind the movie and just wondering how did they do that because this film is one of the most special comic book movies ever made and the fact that it isn't number one shows how much of a masterpiece my number one is and i'll get into that in just a second this is not only the best movie of the year so far it's one of the best comic book movies of all time it's one of the best sequels of all time one of the best animated movies of all time and it's just a work of art it left me at a loss for words because of, it's just an indescribable movie experience. It is everything a sequel should be while doing everything to stand on its own as a really compelling movie. It's a wonderful thematic continuation of the masterpiece that was Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, but is not a retread in the slightest. It, it, it is a distinct Spider-Man movie with a distinct experience. It's a lot darker, larger in scale, and bigger in emotion and heart and deals with a well-established Miles Morales. As always with Lord and Miller's films, there's a style to so much. All the animation, the character in this film is insane. Everything is popping with so much color, liveliness, creativity. The fact that so many animation styles are squished into one movie and it feels cohesive. Every universe, every character has their own look to make them feel unique. It's absolutely magnificent and it's chaotic and every single frame is a work of art. There's so many hidden and small details to make the characters move and feel more lifelike or to let Spider-Man fans chew on something. And it's something special to behold in every scene. It somehow tops every piece of innovative animation from the first movie while still feeling consistent with it. Moving on from that, there's so many deep cut and amazing Easter eggs for Spider-Man fans. And it uses the multiverses easily fragmented and heavily interconnected nature to have a meta story about the nostalgia, about nostalgia riding entertainment and consumers' expectations for them subverts it but in a natural way to create large and personal stakes for Miles Morales. And it deals with the consequences of Into the Spider-Verse and the most and the most and is easily the most imaginative, exploitive of all the multiverse tales out there. Spider-Punk and Spider-Man India were some standout new characters. Spider-Man 2099 is a great villain. Spot is actually a really compelling villain. And he gets a lot better throughout the movie. He plays on fans' expectations of him being the joke and continues to build into this very dark villain. There's tons of phenomenal stuff for Spider-Man fans. It's wonderfully paced. The two hours and 30 minutes fly by and is carried in big part by Daniel Pemberton's incredible score. This movie is a lot darker than the first and the haunting moments really stand out. But what remains the highlight of these Spider-Man movies is their very... 
pure Spider-Man heart. There's such a clever love and understanding of what it means to be Spider-Man. And you can't help but get emotional while your heart is smiling so much watching these movies. Anyone can wear the mask, but this movie explores how you wear the mask. And that's what defines whether you're a hero. And this film beautifully continues the themes of the first movie. And has a lot of really inspirational moments just like the first. Every spider hero shares commonalities and each one has to make sacrifices. And this movie really delves deep into that. It is such a Spider-Man story, but one that is so unlike anything we've ever seen, particularly cinematically. I never thought anything like this would be told on the big screen. Every, all of them choose the selfless pathway, but they all find struggles because of that, which is at the core of who Spider-Man is. And this movie dives deep headfirst into that. And it's so quintessentially Spider-Man, but yet it's unlike anything we've ever seen on the big screen. The personal stake feels so much higher. But to me, the MVP of this movie was Spider-Gwen, who's of course voiced by the amazing Haley Steinfeld. Her view and side of this multiverse story is so is finally delved into in a meaningful way. Her backstory is explored right from the opening frames and the impact of Miles' friendship on her and her stage of life really got me emotional and the relationship she has to her dad, Captain Stacy, really paid off well. And her character arc is, I think, what best defines this film as a complete experience because of how it is. And finally, Miles Morales truly gets to become Spider-Man. He is a phenomenal character and this movie deals with him at his lowest points and at his highest points. And it's such an incredible experience for, for that. There's so much going on. There's so many relatable moments. There's so much ambition. Its story is so ambitious. There's so much wonderful, so many wonderful ideas. There's three filmmakers behind Lord and Miller behind it. And everything is pulled together to make a topsy-turvy movie filled with wonderful twists and turns. And is a phenomenal setup to what may come next in part two. There's so many things that demand multiple viewings. I've already seen it twice. I'm absolutely going to go see it at least two more times. And every emotion imaginable is packed into this experience that absolutely knocked me out and which shocks me because this isn't even my number one. But I loved this movie so much. It is a five-star effort in every way, just like my number one. But my number one just edges it out a bit, and I'll explain why in just a second. But coming into my number one is Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. One of the greatest films of all time, it is the best Spider-Man film of all time and might be the greatest comic book and animated movie of all time after further analysis, which I've done with this movie over the past four and a half years. I have, it's just one of the best movies I've ever seen. I absolutely adore everything about this movie. Every time I watch it, it slowly starts to climb the list of my favorite movies in general. This film takes advantage of its media more so than any other animated movie ever released. This might be my favorite looking movie ever made, at least it was before Across the Spider-Verse, because it might be the most faithful comic book film ever released. It feels the most like a comic at the very least. The use of paneling, amazing and chaotic colors, busy screens, freeze frames, onomatopoeia, and everything is absolutely perfect. I even love how the frame rate drops, because like all the other animation tools, it's used as a mechanism within the story and to reflect the growth of our lead character, Miles Morales. Probably my favorite moments of animation and sound design are when Miles first gets bitten by the radioactive spider and the anxiety of what it causes him to feel is so abundantly clear and it's the best display of the impact of a spider bite on, the teen on a teenager, at least one that would 
again, gain spider powers as a result of one. The mix of 2D to 3D styles here will always be so inspirational for other major studio animated films for years to come. And the fact that this is a multiverse film completely lets Lord and Miller's crew off the leash to create wacky and unique imagery for a Spider-Man film. Speaking of, the concept of the man behind the mask has never really been explored so deeply with Spider-Man, further proving why he's probably the most relatable superhero out there and why he's the most loved. Peter Parker will always be personally the Spider-Man that I grew up with, but this movie made me love Miles Morales too. All the voice performances are absolutely outstanding. It's actually wild how good of a cast this film has. Shamik Moore, Haley Seinfeld, Jake Johnson, Marshall Ali, Brian Tyree Henry, Lee Schreiber, all and on, on and on. Miles is a very relatable teen who is at first definitely does not want the responsibilities of being Spider-Man, but one who, who promised to be the most, who has become one of the most loved heroes of all time. And it changes into that from not wanting to needing to be Spider-Man because of the promise he makes. Seeing this crazy adventure through the eye, through his eyes, is so refreshing, also partially because of his unique family dynamics and cultural context. The script and dialogue of this movie are, in my opinion, Oscar-worthy material, and I really thought this movie deserved the best original, uh, excuse me, adapted screenplay Oscar. Easily one of the most natural scripts and dialogue I've ever read or heard for any dialogue, for any Hollywood movie, I should say. I cannot get over how much I love Miles' dynamic with his relatives and especially his parents, which feels so real. The multiverse shenanigans are a ton of fun, but the heart of these Spider-Verse films are the character growth and interactions. Miles gets on such an inspiring and motivational underdog tale that pays off so well when he's finally donning his own costume with his own unique flair and the amazing tunes of this movie play. This is one of the only movies where I actually appreciate the original songs created that play really well with the fantastic and underrated original score by Daniel Pemberton. The main theme is so motivational and honestly makes me emotional every time it even played in the Across the Spider-Verse trailers. They fully fleshed out the, arc, the arcs of Miles, Peter B. Parker, and Gwen. And that elevates this to the top of, the spy, of any Spider-Man ranking and why I think it's probably the best piece of Spider-Man media ever made. With Haley Steinfeld's Spider-Gwen, I really hope she gets even more explored in the previous in the next few in the next sequel i loved what they did when across spider-verse and they finally delved into her so much but i love peter b parker in particular he is one of the greatest characters ever invented as like a legacy character because he jake johnson's down on his luck portrayal of this iconic hero is such an amazing counterbalance to the spider-man we're used to he starts off in this midlife crisis, which makes the film even more of a broad appeal and shows why Spider-Man appeals to all ages. The character's growth from the lowest point to his life to getting over his fears and taking the leap of faith, by the way, one of the greatest scenes of all time, is another really inspiring character journey in this film that already has like two other really inspiring stories. And man, I almost forgot to mention the humor, which is this is one of the funniest movies ever made. Not all of the jokes might make me laugh out loud, but all of it has me chuckling at the very least. And a big part of that is Peter B. Parker. And just when Miles is one, the one who actually helps Peter B. Parker to help take that chance, that is a peak Spider-Man moment right there. And even then, it never gets to the point of being a parody of an old Spider-Man, but rather an interesting exploration of a direction in which the toll of his life can actually have on someone, while not sacrificing the fun of the character in any way. He's still taken seriously. And man, oh man, Nick Cage as Spider-Man Noir, just one of the greatest things I've ever seen or heard in any animated movie. 
The pacing here is also perfect. Not a single moment drags. Easy, the most fun Spider-Man movie to watch. And I think that's kind of what gives us the edge above across Spider-Verse, that this movie is more consistently fun. It's not as dark. And it might contain the greatest tribute to Stan Lee imaginable, and maybe the best Stan Lee cameo ever. This is not only an amazing Spider-Man film, not only a marvelous comic book movie, but just a perfect film, period. A spectacular, ultimate, every adjective ever used in front of Spider-Man applies here. Superior, the perfect balance of everything you could want in a movie. Spider-Man Across the Spider- excuse me, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, how long I've been talking. It's one of the greatest films of all time, one of the best animated movies ever, and my favorite Spider-Man movie. And I don't see anything ever topping it. I love this movie so much. Thank you guys so much for listening. I'll catch you all next time. Bye-bye.